army. He's done everything he can to prepare the people. There's a brand new tabernacle. The priests have been consecrated. The Levites last week were were consecrated, set apart, and, and organized so they know how to set up and tear down the tabernacle where God is now uh, dwelling. And, and uh, uh, tonight we get a really interesting chapter that has to do with two events, the Passover, uh, but more importantly, God's presence in the cloud. I don't know if you remember, if you've been in these studies for a while, we, at the very last uh, part of, of Exodus, we studied um, the cloud and what the cloud meant, that God met Moses in a cloud. Remember, the, the Mount Sinai was shrouded with a cloud, and that was God's presence. Uh, God met Moses in the burning bush that was not consumed uh, as fire. But this cloud, we see this cloud imagery over and over again, and it's the cloud now that represents the very presence of God, and the cloud is going to be with the people. So they had, a, they had this uh, uh, picture. They, had an, uh, they could look up into the sky and see the cloud. Everybody could see it. It was up above the tabernacle. So kind of a really interesting section that we're in here, and uh, it begins with a Passover. So uh, they, they left Egypt, and the last thing they did was the Passover celebration, Remember? The first thing they're going to do before they leave on this journey from Mount Sinai toward the promise is they're going to do Passover again. Very significant. We'll talk about it in just a moment. Let's pray and ask God's blessing tonight. Father, thank you for the word. Thank you for this text of scripture. I pray, Lord, that you would teach us by your Holy Spirit. Uh, There's a lot going on in our world, in our lives. There are people that are struggling and hurting. There are those among us, Lord, that are even in, in real need of your physical touch. So tonight I want to begin by just praying for those. And Pastor Sergio and his, his delayed uh, uh, this bone marrow transplant, this, this procedure that he's waiting for, and now it's delayed because of his cold. And Carol and her need for uh, that port so she can have dialysis and, and uh, others that are really hurting, Lord. But you've, you've also healed and are sustaining Rachel from cancer. And, and Lord, you've done so much. You've touched our sister, Sharon Starkweather, and, and she's doing well after a stroke. And so, Lord, we do see you moving and, and working. But we ask, God, for these that, that are sick and others that were unnamed by me, tonight, Lord, that you would touch them and encourage them. And Lord, that you would speak your word of life to us tonight and that we would receive it, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, This chapter begins with the Passover. I'm calling it the first Passover in the wilderness, my first point here, because they already did the, the Passover. This is really the second one, but this is the first one in the wilderness. Notice with me in verse 1, now the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness, not in Egypt, but in the wilderness of Sinai in the first month of the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, let the children of Israel keep the Passover at its appointed time. On the 14th day of this month at twilight, you shall keep it 
at its appointed time, according to all its rites and ceremonies, you shall keep it. So Moses told the children of Israel that they should keep the Passover. And they kept the Passover on the 14th day, on the first month, at twilight, in the wilderness of Sinai, according to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did. So the first thing you notice here, that it's been one full year since they've left Egypt. They were delivered by God's miraculous power. They've moved from Egypt and their bondage, which Egypt represents sin. They've been delivered from sin. They've been redeemed from slavery, just as you and I have been delivered from sin by an act of God, the Passover, the the Passover lamb, Jesus dying and his blood shed. Don't stop making those connections to the New Testament, Christian. It'll help you understand the Old Testament. The Old Testament helps us understand the New. That's why it's key in, uh, for us as believers to understand it, to study it. But that first Passover in Egypt marked the beginning of their exodus from bondage, from slavery, from sin. And again, the parallel to the life of the believer being delivered from our bondage and slavery to sin. And so one year before this section that we're reading tonight, they, they celebrated the first Passover. And now, verse 1, in the first month of the second year after they came out of the land. So God begins this yearly memorial, this yearly celebration. This, I think it's more appropriate for you and I to read this and know that the, this is a feast. This is a celebration. The Passover is not a somber time of people just being quiet in a dark room eating together. This is a celebration of their deliverance from sin, just as your celebration and your remembrance of all that God's done to deliver you from slavery and sin should be a, a, a hallmark in your life. You should go, yes, I remember that, and I'm so glad that I'm a Christian now, and, and my former life has passed away. And so this really does, uh, Passover is a celebratory time, and God is instructing his people now to join him in that celebration, in that remembrance feast. Again, remember, this is what it is. It's a feast. It's a time of joy. It's a time of remembering. And God wants his nation to do this every year at the same time. He wants them to remember his work of deliverance, his work of grace, his work of mercy on behalf of them. He didn't have to do it, but he did it as a uh, he, he had promised to Abraham. This is part of his promise. This is part of his, uh, God does not change. God makes a promise and he, it, it happens. And that's what's going on here. And he wants his people to be a part of it. So he makes this gracious invitation. He instructs Moses to invite the children to a feast. Let's all get together. We're going to all remember this. We're going to have a meal and it's going to be with me. God is with them. As you recall, the tabernacle, God is there. He's always wanted to be with his people. Now he's with them. And he says, I want you to gather around. And we're going to have this feast. We're going to celebrate. And it's a specific time. Verse 2, let the children of Israel keep the Passover at its appointed time. 
Now, the, the reason I say that, that God is inviting these people is you have to remember what they had ju just done a few weeks before. A few weeks before, not a year before, but a few weeks before this occurrence was the, the fiasco of the golden calf and dancing naked and, and idol worship, where the, the children of Israel had, had turned away from the very God that had delivered them. They're seeking a, a, a deity. They, they wanted to see it, so they create out of gold this golden calf, and they dance naked around it. But this is where the invitation becomes so gracious and personal. God has forgiven them, and now God invites them to this feast at the appointed time. Our God is filled with grace and mercy. Don't you ever say that God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New? It's not so. When you read the Old Testament, you realize that God is so gracious and long-suffering with his people, so kind and so merciful. And so he's invited, through Moses, the whole nation to come and, and celebrate and sit down and have this Passover meal with him. Again, a, just a complete demonstration of God's grace and God's forgiveness for these people you might also remember that after the golden calf incident, there were still, still some that were defiant. And God had ordered his, his uh, people to go out and to actually interview people and kill those that were still defiant and worshiping an idol. And when you go back into Exodus chapter 32, you realize there were 3,000 people that were defiant. And they were just like, I'll worship who I want to. And God had ordered their execution because of their defiance, because of their disobedience. So this is a big deal. This forgiveness is a big deal. And God graciously inviting them to a meal is a really big deal. On the 14th day, verse 3 of this month, at twilight, you shall keep it at its appointed time. So God wants his people to come and celebrate the Passover with him. Despite anything they've done in the past. Again, that's just showing the mercy of God toward his, his people. So how did they respond? Well, verse 5, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight in the wilderness of Sinai according to all that the Lord commanded Moses. So the children of Israel did. They kept it. They did it. They celebrated together. Now, again, it's important to understand that that the golden calf represented a time of defiance and disobedience, but but. They're not disobedient now. They've learned something. And that's one of the interesting things about this section. God brings his people out, and he's taken a year, and he's been working with them, and he's been forgiving them, and they're growing. They are growing, and, and they're going to continue to grow through lessons that God brings into their lives. Just like you and I, we grow in the Lord through lessons God allows, through trials God allows in our lives. But they are growing. They're, they did exactly what the Lord had told them to do. They, they weren't worshiping idols. They joined God in this celebration of Passover here. And again, they obeyed God at this specific time exactly the way God had told them. And there's no mention of whining, of complaining. And we've already seen that in their lives. It, They've been, why don't we go back to Egypt? We had food. Why don't we go back to Egypt? We had water. They're not whining now. They were obedient. They did exactly what 
the Lord had commanded Moses and that invitation and the children of Israel did. It says it right there at the end of verse 5. Now we come to this, this next section here in verses 6 through 14, which really was a, it's a, a question of defilement and keeping the Passover. There's a question that comes up with the people now. It's very interesting. Notice verse 6. There were certain men, we don't know how many, but certain men were defiled by a human corpse so that they couldn't keep the Passover on that 14th day of that month. And they came before Moses and Aaron that day. And those men said to him, we became defiled by a human corpse. Why can't we keep the Passover? We, we really want to. You have to get the passion here. They want to celebrate with God. They want to celebrate and be obedient, but they can't because they touched or um, somebody in their family died. They had to deal with a corpse, and that was forbidden by God. Why are we kept from presenting the offering of the Lord at its appointed time among the children? How come we can't join in the celebration? How come we can't be a part of this? We love God, and we want to serve God, and we want to worship God, but we can't do it because we touch this corpse. Now, we don't know the exact circumstance surrounding their question. There's no details for us. Maybe it was a mother that died, a parent, a wife, a sibling. Uh, we, we just don't know. Their problem was that they were exposed to a dead body. And as we've already learned in Leviticus and the early section of Exodus, you could not Worship God if you had gone near, were exposed to a dead body. It was forbidden by the Lord, and they know it. And again, when you read this, you, they've grown, see? Instead of being disobedient, like, whatever, nobody saw, I'm just going to go do it anyway. They're, they're conscious of, of their, this sin, this touching their, their defile. They know it, so they, they're pleading here. You don't really get it when you read it, but that, that's the way it's presented. They're, they're pleading, why can't we do this? We're admitting, we're confessing our sin, we're confessing that, that we've been exposed to this human corpse. So why can't we worship with God's children too? It's in Leviticus 22 that God commands that you cannot participate in, in the weekly Sabbath meal. You can't go into the temple and worship when you've been exposed to a dead body. Among other things, it's a very interesting section. I don't know if you remember when I taught on this. There's a lot of weird stuff going on in that along with the dead body. I won't go into that. You can look at that later. But Leviticus 26 or 22 says, The person who has touched any such thing shall be unclean until evening and shall not eat the holy offerings unless he washes his body with water. And when the sun goes down, he shall be clean. Now, dead body was part of that. There were other elements of that God said, you're unclean if you do these certain things. And so basically, the rule for worshiping God is you had to be pure. You had to be holy. And if you were exposed to a dead person, you became immediately ceremonially unclean. And you had to go through this rite of cleansing that took at least a 24-hour period. So they, on the 14th, somebody in their family died. They had to deal with a body. And now they, it, 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 it disqualified them from being a participant in the Passover meal. They, they couldn't participate 
in the worship. But these guys want to do it. That's the cool thing about this, and I hope that you see that. They want to celebrate. So they come to Moses. They come to the leader, knowing that they have this problem that's a sin, and they ask their leader what they should do because they know the feast is required. So there's a dilemma. I'm commanded to do this. If I don't do this, I'm in trouble, but I can't do it because I'm defiled. And so Moses, what do we do? So they're doing the right thing. They're confessing their sin. They're coming to the leader. They want to worship the Lord. All those things are pluses. They're they're good things that they wanted to do. And Moses said to them, verse 8, Stand still that I may hear what the Lord will command concerning you. I I can hear him. I can see it. Moses, we had a funeral today, and we we, we can't go in. We can't do this. And so what do we do? Moses says, stand still. Just stand still, and I'll, I'll go seek the Lord. You know, it's probably the hardest thing that we hear counsel and advice from a spiritual leader, from a pastor, someone that you look up to that knows God's word. Anyone can do this, by the way. You don't have to ask the pastor. Anyone that has a Bible has this same information. You shouldn't put a pastor in a place where he doesn't belong. We're human just like you, and we have the same word. And we have the word, and you can share the word, not your opinion, but you can share the word of God to encourage a brother or sister going through a hardship. And one of the best pieces of advice you can give anyone that asks you advice is this. Stand still. Let me go ask the Lord. The most important thing you could ever do is is stop with your brother or sister that's anxious or in a trial and say, hey, let's pray. Let's seek the counsel of the Lord. Moses, he didn't know what to do. He said, I got to go ask. I don't know what to do. Again, this is really important to understand. We have the Bible. The Bible gives us the information, and we're to dispense that as his children to others, to encourage them to, to know God and to walk with God. So Moses says, stand still that I may hear what the Lord will command concerning you. Um. The application, again, is if maybe something has happened in your life, you've gone to church, you grew up in church, and through some unforeseen circumstances, your spouse goes off the deep end, you end up in divorce, your child that you love with all your heart at a young age dies, you have an expectation of God in the church to, to help your family and your prayers, not answers. And so instead of seeking the Lord and seeking the leadership that God has placed around you in church, you get mad at God. You're just mad at God. He didn't answer my prayer. He didn't heal my child or my parent I prayed for. He, didn't, he, didn't, uh, he gave me this woman that was so defiant and, and I caused divorce and And you just go on and on, and you blame and blame and blame and blame God. Now, that's not so far-fetched. I have seen that happen in people's lives, in many people's lives over the years. They get mad and angry, and they blame God. Instead of going and asking and seeking the leadership, instead of going to an elder or the pastor and saying, you know, I'm really struggling with this, and 
and I, I'm, I'm struggling with this because God didn't answer it, and I'm kind of upset, and, and let's pray. Let's seek the Lord. Let's look at God's word. Romans 8, brother, sister. Remember what God's promises are. He never goes back on his promises. He, he promises to give you a future and hope, you remember? Instead of doing that, people get upset, and they, they leave the fellowship. They stop going to any church. And they're mad at God. I've seen it. These guys are doing the right thing. They've confessed their sin. They've been honest with Moses, the leader. We're in a real pickle, Moses. You know, we had to touch a body on the 14th, and that's what we're supposed to do, but we can't do it. We want to worship God. We love God. We want to be obedient and do the right thing. I love that because when you do that, and I've seen it happen. Years later, somebody comes into the church and said, you know, I haven't been around for a while. And yeah, yeah what, what's going on? How come you didn't go to church for 15 years? Well, I was mad at God because of my divorce. I was mad at God because of the death of my son. I'm mad at God because I didn't get my way. I didn't get, life didn't turn out the way it was. And I, I had my hopes in God and he let me down. And I'm mad at God. But now I realize that that was really wrong. This is where... As a believer, as a pastor, you have to be so gentle and just say, you know, it's the grace of God that's drawn you back to a place of fellowship. It's the grace of God that's brought you back. It's the Holy Spirit that's been working in your life, even though you've been kind of dead and dry like a, a, a bush, you know, without water for the last 15 years. These guys, they come for restoration. These guys are really a model or a picture of that. It's their honesty. It's their confession that they've made, and now they're going to be restored. That is what we need to do in the church. Every individual needs to do that. The pastors need to do that. The elders need That's our, our responsibility is to see someone restored. Galatians 6, you know the verse here behind me on the screen. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, in any sin, in any sin, let that sink in. Just because you didn't do it doesn't mean it's a sin that God cannot forgive. In any trespass, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What's the church supposed to be? The church is not a place where you have to be good and holy and everything's perfect in your life. I mean, look around the room tonight, you'll realize that's not true. The church is a hospital. The church is where broken come to be healed. The church is a place where the word of God is, 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 is the ointment that brings healing, and the word of God brings a new structure and builds the individual that's broken up. That's what the ministry does. That's what the ministry's for. The, the church is a place where people are restored. I would hope that if anyone in this fellowship feels unworthy or guilty or whatever it is, that, that you would slowly understand through reading the Bible or you would quickly get it when an elder or pastor prays for you that you're no different than anyone else in this room. We're all sinners saved by the grace of God. And what a blessing. Again, in this section that we're looking at, 
these men here in Numbers chapter 9, they come and ask the leadership for help. And Moses doesn't say, well, you know, you guys, I didn't see it, so just join in. Moses said, I need to, I need to ask the Lord. We need, we need to pray about this. We need to let the Lord do what he is going to do. And Moses said, stand still. I love that. Moses said something like, Lord, there's no prayer recorded, but I can just almost hear it. Lord, there's some men here that really want to worship you. They love you dearly, but they've they had a death. Their mom died. They had to deal with it. They're defiled. And they don't want to wait a whole year. They don't want to wait till next year. They want to worship you now. They want to, they want to honor you now. Listen, this is where the story gets really exciting. I know you're waiting, but verse 9, this is the restoration. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, If anyone of you or your posterity is unclean because of a corpse or is far away on a journey, he may still keep the Lord's Passover. Now, again, it's just the grace of God. God knows the heart of the honest and sincere worshiper, the one that really wants to serve the Lord but can't because in this case there was a death in the family, there's a funeral service, there's a, these, these are catastrophic things. Don't, don't bail out of going to church on a regular basis because you have a soccer game or you have you know, your sand toy in the desert time, uh, winter time. These are serious things here that they're not worshiping the Lord because of the fact that there's a death in the family or they're gone on a long, long trip, some important trip that they had to go on. Those are the two reasons here. And I love the fact that God is so positive. He said, yeah, I want you to celebrate with me. I want you to remember the Passover because why? Because it's Passover that represents and is a picture of deliverance from sin, the the fact that God redeems his Passover. He wants his people to know that he redeems. And this celebration that goes on year after year after year, it's a reminder of how he redeemed. But he wants his people to understand that he's a redeeming God, that he's a gracious God, that he's a 